0: morning. Please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. We're continuing today in our series, Advent series, Getting Dressed for Christmas. We were talking um, in our community group this past week about verse 12, uh, and about putting on kindness and compassion, humility, meekness, and our group, we noted together that uh, God does not want naked Christians. <laughs> and so that's why we're working through this passage over these next weeks, that we would get dressed properly in the spirit of God and how he wants to instruct us as we, as we walk into kind of a, a strange Christmas season. Just like Thanksgiving was strange. This is just strange. Nobody expected seven years ago that we would be doing this, or seven months ago, I guess, when the pandemic started. Uh, It's a strange time, but by God's grace and God's spirit, we're going to get through this. We're going to walk this road uh, together well by God's spirit. So would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word today? in Colossians chapter three. And and the focus is on verse 13, but I'm gonna read the context here uh, just to give us a bigger picture. Beginning in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, To God. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to hear your life giving word with humility today. Guard us from superficial agreements with your word. And instead, let your spirit do the careful work of encouraging us and rebuilding us into your image, and may the preaching of this word draw our affections upward to Christ our king, in whose name we pray. Amen you may be seated it's Colossians 3:13 draws out this uh, Christian theme of forgiveness. And we love powerful stories of forgiveness, don't we? We love stories like uh, Corey ten Boom's great story of how she extended forgiveness to the German guards who killed her very sister. Or how about the story of Elizabeth Elliot, her husband, Jim Elliot, you know is is spared to death in south america and what does she do she she moves to the very village that killed her husband and leads them to jesus this this is something so distinctly and unique christian that that she reaches into the violence that she's confronted with and she returns forgiveness and love for that violence then, then there's the story of, oh, that's recently been uh, made more famous, the story of Louis uh, Zamperini, I think is his last name, which is uh, the book Unbroken maybe a few of you have read over the last few years. I think it came out maybe in 2016 or 17, somewhere around there. Uh, that, that story particularly has captivated me over the years. Uh, as you have this story of this man who stranded at sea for 47 days in the Pacific Ocean during World War II. And then he gets captured by the Japanese and he's taken as a POW for two years. And during that two years, he's starved practically to death. And he's tortured by that figure, if you remember, I think he called him the bird. And then later, he, he finally comes home and he has these episodes of just drunken anger and Bout tears apart his whole family. And then he meets Jesus. And, and it's turned all upside down to the point that he goes to Japan and meets with his very captors and extends forgiveness to them. That, that I mean, that, doesn't that just kind of send tingles up your spine? These powerful stories of forgiveness that we've read and heard about. These stories are, are inspiring. But at the same time, they're, they're kind of discouraging. I mean, if, if Elizabeth Elliot who, who can forgive the men who killed her husband, why can't I overlook a crossword spoken to me? You know, we love stories of forgiveness, but we don't love, at least I don't, we don't love when, when we are the ones who have to do the forgiving. None of us probably woke up this morning and thought, as you, know, as you open up your eyes and you stretch your arms and go, gee, I can't wait. Who do I get to forgive today who hurts me? <laughs> but the truth is, there's not a day that goes by that we're not faced with having to forgive someone. If we're, unless we're on a deserted island. And even then, we'll probably come up with something. Colossians 3 here is written to, to Christians who, who flourish only in a culture of forgiveness. After all, what, what makes a church so different from everything else is that it gathers together people who are different from each other. So, so PETA does not gather to them, uh, people who, who want to kill animals. The NRA does not gather to them people who hate guns, but the church, the church gathers Jews and Gentiles. The church gathers Republicans and Democrats. The church gathers introverts and extroverts. And when you gather people who are different, you get some uh, chemistry happening. <laughs> you get relational offenses and sin. You know, we see this on the scale of families, husbands and, and wives and, and siblings and, and perhaps parents. And we see this on the scale of church families. So how then as we think to Christmas, when Christmas is a great time of rising up, great occasions for conflict and needs for forgiveness, how do we build a culture of forgiveness? How do we build a culture of forgiveness in our family? And how do we build a culture of forgiveness in our church? Colossians 3.13, I think, gives us at least three characteristics for this kind of culture. Now, there's plenty more. Uh, that we could go on for 50 sermons about. But we'll stick with these three this morning. And, and before I get to those, those three, it, it's important to keep in mind that forgiveness operates really in kind of two spheres. What we typically think of is the horizontal sphere. This is when we're actually physically expressing forgiveness to someone who has repented. You know, they've, they've apologized to us. They confessed their sin. And now it's on us to decide, are we going to extend that forgiveness? But there's another sphere. And that's the vertical or, or sometimes called the, the attitudinal sphere. This is the sphere that I'm primarily addressing today. This is about cultivating a heart inward that, that is inclined to forgiveness regardless of the other person's reactions. So in this case, it doesn't matter if that person apologizes. It doesn't matter if that, well, how that person's responding in that situation. What matters is what is the disposition of your heart and the inclination of your heart? Is there kind of forgiveness ready to leap out when it's time? Now, forgiveness can be a, a really tough topic, isn't it? And it raises many hard and difficult questions So, you may want to explore more after the sermon. Uh, I brought with me today three resources in particular that I want to encourage you to. The first, you'll note, is out on the tables outside when you leave, and that is the Peace Pursuit Quick Start Guide. Let me highly, highly, highly recommend that you pick one of these up, they're very useful. Uh, Our dear brother who works overseas that we support created this as a step-by-step guide to think through, particularly inwardly, how to approach forgiveness and how to create reconciliation. This is a very useful tool. Another uh, resource that I have a couple here with me, the first is a book by Robert Jones, Pursuing Peace. Peace. A Christian Guide to Handling Our Conflicts. I have a couple copies with me today, and if you want one, I'd be very happy to give you one of these. This is a fantastic resource that works through a whole process of peacemaking. He also wrote a little book that I have with me called Freedom from Resentment, Stopping Hurts from Turning Bitter. Very little, see? See how tiny it is? Jim, it's really tiny. There might be a picture in the back. (laughs) Uh, great resource. I have some of these as well, if you'd like to get one that may just help you explore other questions that we're not dealing with today. As well, let me just mention that uh, after the service, you will see a blog that goes up that mentions all these resources and some other resources that I want to direct you to that might encourage you. So now, now to building a culture of forgiveness in Colossians. Three things that Colossians 3.13 draws out. The first thing that we need here in Colossians 3.13 is we need to graciously endure your sister's sin or weakness. Graciously endure your sister or brother's sin or weakness. Look at the text, verse 13. Bearing with one another... And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. We are told, we're told here in Colossians to bear with one another, to forgive one another whenever we have a complaint against another. You know, this, this image of, of bearing with one another is rather startling. I, I mean, after all, we're, we're Christians. Shouldn't it be easy to love one another? But Paul actually assumes that it's not easy. (laughs) He actually assumes it's really hard. And this is is what always surprises uh, particularly young marriages, doesn't it? Uh, Instead of this kind of dreamy walkthrough of life together, Paul says you're actually going to be bearing with one another or or more literally enduring one another. Now, how romantic is that? you know let let's go let's go get some mistletoe and endure one another and yet colossians paints this this picture that it is a far greater beauty to endure one another than this dreamy hallmark vision of relationship the same is true for our relationships in the church now to be clear bearing With one another does not mean a number of things. First, it does not mean that you don't lovingly confront habitual sin. But enduring one another leads you to the right way to do that. It also does not mean that justice shouldn't be served where justice is lacking. It also does not mean that, that healthy relational boundaries are, are not necessary, for, for example, in cases of addiction. Rather, bearing with one another aims at your inward disposition toward the other person and, and how you think about them and ultimately how you're going to treat them no matter how they respond. This is, this is what Proverbs 1012 means when it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love, but love covers over all offenses. So do you harbor grudges? Do you expect behavior out of out of others that you excuse in yourself? You know, at the, at the bottom of this language bearing with one another, it, it means that we do not dwell on their sin and their weaknesses. This is part of the forgiveness package. It's not the whole, but it's part of the forgiveness package. We, we turn off the replay in our heads or the replay coming out of our mouths. You know, a, a number of years ago in Louisville, when we were living in Louisville, I, I met with a married couple who are in a rough patch, and they've been married for for 20, 30 years. And and when I met with them, I asked them what they saw as as the problem. And and the wife said to me, I've forgiven him, but we just don't seem to be able to move on. She then proceeded to to pull out this, this notebook, and she read off a list of like, I don't know, about like 15 or 20 offenses That he had committed. And and she read them off, and then she said to me, looked up, and she said, I forgave him all these, but I'm sick of him. That's not forgiveness. That's not enduring with one another. Forgiveness includes bearing with one another by not dwelling on sin against us. So in the book of Philippians, Paul dresses this issue with particularly two women in the church who were in conflict. And a little bit after he publicly mentions them by name in chapter four, just a couple verses later in verse eight, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so, we bear with one another by not dwelling on those deficiencies in that other person. Instead, we dwell on what is true about them, what is honorable about them, what is just, what is pure, commendable, go on. You know, a helpful exercise I found is if you're stuck in this pattern of this replay and and struggling with this forgiveness aspect A practical thing to do is to get out a pen, to get out a pen and fight those negative thoughts in your head by physically writing down on a sheet of paper answers to Philippians 4.8. What is honorable about Jason (laughs) Stacy? What is just? About and going on down like that. I love Jason, just to be clear. And, and working through that physically with your hand and, and asking yourself that question God does something, I promise you. I've seen it right in front of me. I remember meeting with a man who was struggling with uh, his spouse. And uh, we did this exercise right there, and and right in front of me, he's writing down what is honorable about his wife, and he starts doing it. He fills all, he gets all the way down to the end, and then he suddenly looks up at me, and he goes, I guess she's not as bad as I thought. (laughs) It's true. Doing this is a reminder that forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an action. May not feel like forgiveness. Forgiveness is an action. In our everyday relationships, God calls Christians to overlook most sins, to extend grace to those who speak that ill word to you or, or don't speak to you at all. This is putting into practice, bearing with one another. But that's not all that we need to build a culture of forgiveness. Second, we need to Entrust to God, entrust to God the sanctification of our brothers and sisters. You know, the context of Galatians, Galatians, the context of Colossians 3, verse 13, is all about the work of God in our lives. God is the one who works in us. He's the one who's in charge of working on that fellow Christian who has offended you. We belong to him. Look at verse, verse three, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse four, Christ, who is your life? Verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Or verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You know, notice how, how all God's people, we're talking about God's people here, how all God's people, including the ones that we have to forgive, all of them are hidden with Christ. All are being renewed right now in the knowledge of God's image. And when, when I was in college, I got to know a, a retired missionary, Ron was his name, who, who quietly... Uh, mentored me without me knowing, a sly fellow. Uh, one day I was telling him about a particularly difficult relationship that I had with someone. Arrogantly, I, I said to him and, and, and listed to Ron these areas where, where this other person needed to grow. You know, he, he listened for a while. And then he kind of crossed his arms. That's when you know things are not good he just looked at me and he said, well, I'm glad you're, you're advising God now about how he should handle this person. Ouch. And trust, that's what he was saying to me, and trust that dear brother or sister to God. They belong to him. Again, back to Philippians. Uh, as I mentioned, this, the, the two ladies who are fighting in Philippians there, Paul begins his letter to the Philippians in, in a very curious way, knowing about all these relational issues in Philippians. He begins in chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, he said, that he who began a good work in you will what? Bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, if if I believe that for myself, then I need to believe that for that one who's offended me, my brother or sister. When we, when we bear grudges, when we withhold forgiveness, we, we're, we're kind of in a sense saying to God that we should be the ones to determine what work is needed in that other person. But this this unravels a, a culture of forgiveness in, in a home or or in a church family. It's antithetical to the very notion of Christianity. In forgiveness, we give up the role of judging. We give up the role of declaring what the other person needs from God. We, we take off those those shackles that we have kind of tied to the other person and we let them go. And we let God be God with them in his time and in his way. You know, and of course, Paul, Paul is speaking primarily to Christians. But in many ways, the same is true for, for a non-Christian. If an unbeliever has offended you or, or hurt you deeply, the Christian response is to turn them over to God and to recognize they're in darkness and to plead with God to work in their lives. This is why Paul says in Romans 12:9 or 12:19, "Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God." And so, so let God be angry for you. A culture of forgiveness means that, that we need to bear with one another's shortcomings. And second, we need to entrust each other to the work of God's spirit. But there's a third characteristic of a culture of forgiveness without which the whole thing blows up. So let's look again at Colossians 3.13 bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, and then we get this grand phrase, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also. We we need, we need to draw Power from God's forgiveness given to us. When we we have been offended and hurt, we are in great, great spiritual danger. Spiritual warfare is perhaps most evident at these moments, isn't it? Satan wants to kind of throw in your face the offense and get you replaying it and, and shutting out everything else. And this is why we need to draw power from God's forgiveness toward us because this is, this is a divine thing that, that's happening in us. We can't do it on our own. Our, our very family and our, and our church life depends on it. Offenses and sin against us kind of cloud out the mercy and cloud out the forgiveness that God regularly spills over us through the cross. You know, this, this verb here, forgive, is not the usual verb for forgiveness in the New Testament. Rather, it means something more like, like to, to graciously give to someone in, in unpayable debt. The traditional word means kind of basically like, like cancel, canceling debt. But this word means is more this term of just giving into that situation. Just consider how the same verb is used elsewhere by Paul. Romans 8.32, a verse that that many of you have memorized. I know Diane Bold has it memorized. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, here comes the verb, graciously give us all things? Or 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, in order that we might know the things, here it is, graciously given to us by God, graciously given to his people. See, we have received a a forgiveness from God in Christ that is gracious and, and knows no bounds. Paul says in in Colossians 3.13 that we should do the same as God has done for us. You you might be sitting there right now thinking, but Michael, you you, you don't know how hard this is. I'm so tired of this. Perhaps you feel the the sharp pain of, of hurt and offense. Or maybe you just feel cold and don't know how to ever warm things up again. Or, or the grudge has grown so old that, that you've kind of just learned how to, how to live with it on your shoulder as you walk along through life. Paul says, let the forgiveness of God in Christ shatter all of that for us. Listen to particularly what C.S. Lewis says in his essay on forgiveness. This is such a rich paragraph that I, I want to read the entire thing to you uh, as it's been very instructive to me over the years. He says here, and I quote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And then he goes on, this is hard. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) This is hard. It is perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Then he says, only, I think, by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words when we say in our prayers each night, which we prayed just a few minutes ago, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Then he says, we are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There is no hint of exceptions, and God means what he says. Forgiveness is hard indeed, isn't it? But we get power from our own forgiveness in Christ." This, this is the mystery and the, and the beauty of the Lord's Supper that, that we're gonna take in just a few minutes. Just consider as you, as you drink that cup, that prepackaged cup, as you take that cup, just consider that you are experiencing anew all of God's forgiveness for you. Not one drop of unforgiveness remains. You have been raised with Christ, and God has graciously forgiven you of all those things in the closet, all those things that haunt you at night on your bed, all those words that you spoke, all those thoughts that you had. Oh, you're forgiven. take, Take joy in that. When you eat that bread, which we, we take together as a sign of our, of our oneness in Christ. When you eat that bread, do you know what's happening? You are, you are spreading that forgiveness of God that you received. You are spreading that forgiveness of God all over this room. You're you're washing out each other's sins through our common unity found in Jesus as you take that bread with your brother and with your sister. And so God calls us to embody the broken body of Jesus by, by bearing the offenses and sin of others. And by graciously extending forgiveness to them, promising to bear with them, promising to not dwell on their sin, promising to forgive them, just as in Christ he has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father God, I know how hard forgiveness is. And that there are those who are here today who have decade-long hurts from brothers and sisters, both physical brothers and sisters and the family of God. Bring healing, O God. Bring healing to all of our hearts that we would walk in the power of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.